Amanda, remember that time that witch mania made its way to the USA? Welcome to Remember That Time, an historical podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Webb. And I'm your host, Anna Webb, and this is a podcast where two sisters totally geek out about all of their favorite moments in history. And it's spooky season. Spooky. <laughs> oh, it's the most wonderful time of the year pre-Christmas. <laughs> I wholeheartedly agree. It is the Halloween season, my oh, friends. It's the best. fall. And we are going to be talking about some spooky topics again this month. Yeah. Like we did last year. My favorite. I love I love Halloween. I love spooks. I love mm-hmm. scares. Me too. So this week we are talking about the Salem Witch Trials. I'm so hype. I'm so excited. I am wearing Anderson Museum shirt. We're in it and we're ready. <laughs> ready to go. Well, do you want to hear a drink update? Of course. While we're in it? Uh-huh. I'm drinking some hot apple cider. Oh, how seasonally appropriate. Out of a fall mug. Oh, great. It does say pumpkin spice on it, but I'm not drinking pumpkin spice. Same energy. Yeah, and I have a fall candle burning, and I have fall leaves falling. Love that for you. I'm drinking Mm. some water. (laughs) Shocking. Because here's something else that's fall. Sinus pressure. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Mine has been so bad, and we're obviously in the middle of a pandemic, and I've had... I get a cough in the morning and in the evenings this time of year pretty mm-hmm. pretty consistently. So like every day I'm fearful that this <laughs> cough is not a normal Your cough. Your normal October cough. Yes. And now I have an app because my state has an app that helps them with contact tracing mm. so it asks you to like put in your symptoms every day or if if you're having symptoms or to just say like hey i'm feeling fine or no i i have some symptoms and so i like feel nervous every day being like i have a cough <laughs> but it goes away halfway through the day so does that count we're getting really off topic now, yes <laughs> i was just saying i drink water to help with the headache from the sinus pressure but yeah here we are <laughs> here we are <laughs> gone down a very real <laughs> Should we get back to talking about spooky stuff? Yes, of course. I'm okay. so ready. D- okay. Huge disclaimer, Anne and I went to Salem last summer, and so it's about to be a lot for it us was here amazing. in this house. It was the I, coolest. I could have spent days just Same. going to all of the witch-related places. I don't think our parents would have been super down with it. No, but we could have. Um, but we definitely could have. Easy. Um, and we did go to the Salem Witch Museum, which is the greatest, the greatest place, place on, on earth. earth. Yeah. And we will almost certainly talk about it later. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for now, <laughs> let's let's give some context to some of the things that sort of led up to the Salem Witch Trials. Starting out with context, who are you, me? I know, right? <laughs> is Amanda hosting this episode? <laughs> so around this time... There's already like a trend that there is this really strong belief in the supernatural and witchcraft, um, mm-hmm. which in this belief is that the devil is giving certain people powers to harm others. Right. And we talked about it, it a little bit in our James the First episode. Right. I was going to say that. Yeah. It's yeah. really popular in Europe. Um all the way back to like the 14th century. Um, but in England specifically, there have already been like witch, witch trials going on. So very um, many of them. Yeah. And <laughs> then it sort of makes its way over to New England, which mm-hmm. is where a lot of Puritans settled. And really, it just makes a lot of sense that that happened the way that it did. <laughs> yeah. Well, and like it, it, the... <laughs> it happening in this area had a lot to do with like the original charter for the Massachusetts Bay Colony uh expired and then Britain got new rulers and mm-hmm. then they installed new people and they got a new charter for the area and it just happened the charter happened to be secured by like a very powerful 
Puritan minister yep. <laughs> who then appointed all of the people in the new government. Who so, were all incredibly Puritan. Right. So it was just kind of the perfect storm, honestly. Yeah. Um, so it, oh, by the way, I got a lot of this information that I'm going to be using from our good friends at Britannica. Of course. And then honestly, I got a lot of it from the Wikipedia page because it's so easy to follow the timeline on there. Yeah, that's, but yeah, (laughs) I do that a lot. A lot. But you can find so much information on Salem. Like there are so many places (laughs) where you can find more research. There are lots of really good documentaries and. Oh, yeah. Like even just like YouTube documentary, you know what I mean? Like there's lots of really good stuff on Salem. Yeah, because if you grew up in the United States, you probably learned about this in school if you went to public school. Like, mm-hmm. We learned about it in class. Yeah. So I don't know how much other people from other countries necessarily know about like this particular set of witch trials, but it's like a very big deal in America. It's like, yeah. a thing everybody knows about. It's a huge piece of our culture. Yeah. So back to Salem. <laughs> so around the late 17th century, there are two different... Salem's, basically. Uh Uh-huh. So there's the commerce-oriented port community in Massachusetts Bay known as Salem Town, which becomes what is now modern-day Salem. Mm -hmm. And then about 10 miles inland, there's a smaller, poorer farming community, which is known as Salem Village, which is now Danvers, Massachusetts. Massachusetts. So if you're looking it up on a map, that's like what it is now. Mm-hmm. And Salem Village has like two leading families. The Porters, who are sort of the wealthier people. They're connected to the wealthy merchants in the village. And the Putnams, who sort of represent the farming communities um, and who want the village to be really autonomous from Salem, Salem town. town. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And our, our main focus is Salem village for the most part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so in 1689, something very important happens in Salem <laughs> village. Samuel Paris, who is supported mainly by the Putnam family, Becomes the pastor of Salem Village's congre- uh, congre- Congregational Church. I can't mm-hmm. speak. We're doing <laughs> great so far. So when Samuel Paris comes to Salem, he brings with him his wife, their three children, a niece, and two slaves who are originally from Barbados. One is a male named John Indian and one is a female named Tichuba, who we will get back to. Yes. Um, so Paris actually causes a lot of divides in the community, like, right when he gets there. Like, first of all, he really wants a higher salary. He wants to own the parsonage, and they're not really, a lot of them aren't really down with that. So they he, rolled are, by, he rolled right up and said, give me your money. Well, they had also had a hard time keeping um, a pastor up to this point. Like, they had a lot of turnover, mm. partially because the salary was so low. Right. Um, but yeah, he very much said, give me your money. I want a gift, but only <laughs> if it's money. Money. Um, and he also is super orthodox in her puritanical beliefs. Um, Which he, is a, just a great formula right off the bat. Yeah. Like he regularly insists that non-members of the congregation physically leave the building before <laughs> communion is um, oh. given. Oh. He, like, seeks out what he calls iniquitous behavior in his congregation. He and wants to just lead the, the Spanish Inquisition in his own town. <laughs> yeah, he makes good standing members of the church, like, suffer public penance for their small little infractions oh, of the church. So there's a pretty big divide. There's, like, a pro-Paris Salem and an anti-Paris Salem. I mean, that's fair because that's a lot of energy he brings in right off the bat. Right off the bat. Real freaking quick. So it's about to all kick off already. I know we're so early, but it's happening. So in early 1692, Betty Paris, 
um, who is aged nine and who is Samuel's daughter. Um, and her cousin, Abigail Williams, who is, of course, Samuel Paris's niece, and their friend, um, Anne Putnam Jr. Oh, by the way, Abigail's around 11. Anne is around 12. Um, they all start... We don't know exactly, right? Like, there's nothing <laughs> written exactly what happens. A lot of people say they start learning about fortune telling and it probably came from stories that Tichaba told them about voodoo but again like there's no way to know if that is true but that's just like such a weird little girl thing to do when it is. you're when you're between the ages of like eight and 13 nine and 12 and you, yeah <laughs> yeah you learn about witches you decide that you are one it's a thing that young weird girls do <laughs> Well, and it's something that, think about it, they're raised Puritan. They have no clue, yes. probably, that any of this exists at this age. So it, to them, it's just like fairy tales. It's just like probably, fun, yeah. magical stuff. And like, who yeah. knows if they actually even got this from Tichaba. I mean, right. they they probably did, and that's the story that we're told. Mm-hmm. Like, when you go to the witch museum, that's what they tell you. They have a whole little diorama about it, <laughs> which is amazing. Um uh. But, you know, it's totally possible they just, like, heard it from another friend or something. Like, who's to say? But their behavior starts becoming weird. And they start having fits. They scream and make weird noises. And they throw things and throw their bodies around. And they start saying that they're feeling like someone is biting them or pinching them. Oh, and no. and the local doctor who is historically assumed to be William Griggs cannot find anything physically wrong with them basically that would cause them to have fits so then other girls in the community start acting this way um some of them are Mercy Lewis, Elizabeth Hubbard, Mary Walcott, and Mary Warren. Those are names that you hear a good bit around the mm-hmm. story. And Grig, Griggs diagnoses, I use quotes, them <laughs> with bewitchment. Because he can't find a physical explanation for it. Yeah. So they say they, they've been bewitched. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. It's just... <laughs> We knew and, so little then. Is yeah, the thing. Well, we'll talk about theories at the end. Right uh-huh. now, I just want to talk about like what the happens. story. Yeah. <laughs> so Samuel Paris begins pressuring the girls to name their tormentors because they believe that it's witchcraft. Therefore, someone is causing it. Mm-hmm. So first, of course, they accuse Tichuba, and they also accuse two other members of the community who are. Super marginalized women, just in point of fact, um, and don't attend church. Just, again, something to keep in mind. Sarah Good and Sarah Osborne. Sarah Good is, like, basically a beggar. She's a a poor woman. Mm -hmm. And Sarah Osborne is elderly and bedridden, but she was known to have had a romantic involvement with an indentured servant. So she was like an easy target, right, Mm -hmm. in this community. Yeah. I mean, all three of those people they named are all incredibly easy targets in that community. Right. That's kind of the point, right? Yeah. So these are the first three people named. And this is what kicks off the trials. I just felt my heart rate rise knowing how bad it's about to break. (laughs) Just knowing the story and knowing how buck wild it's about to get, I literally felt my heart start beating faster and I was like, cool. Mm-hmm. And I've included a lot of names in here, but I I can't include all of them. There are too many. Yeah. We would just spend the whole time listing names. Yeah. So I might skip Miss over some, some as we go, yeah. but you know. So on March 1st of 1692, two magistrates from Salem Town, remember the wealthy place. Mm-hmm come into Salem Village to conduct a public inquiry. And these people are John Hawthorne and John Corwin. If you are from America, you will know these names and you will know they are not nice people. (laughs) New. So they go to start an inquiry in Salem Village. Both 
Good and Osborne insist that they're innocent, though at one point Good flips and accuses Osborne, but like what would you do? Mm-hmm. Um oh, the amount of like psychological depths oh, we could dive man. into in this that we just have to like keep on trucking. There there are layers. Yeah. There's so many layers. I think we'll talk about it more when we get to the theories. Yeah. Yeah. Tichuba also initially insists that she's innocent, but Let's be honest, she was facing a lot of pressure. Also, she's not a person who's in high standing. I mean, she's literally owned by someone else. Yeah, she doesn't have the same legal rights as other people. No, and also her consequences are much higher. Yes. So she eventually confesses that she had been, quote, visited by the devil and made a deal with him. Um, she eventually has like three full days of testimony where she talks about encounters with animal familiars and like a tall, dark man from Boston who had her sign the devil's book. And I in forgot that book, about that detail. Yeah. And she says that in the devil's book, she saw Sarah Good and Sarah Osborne's names along with seven others that she couldn't read (sighs) so now not only has she in the eyes of you know these people confirmed that not only was she part of this but so were good and osborne well and that it was happening at all that it was actually happening at all right but now she has also said oh there were other people which is i couldn't read their names but there were (sighs) others (sighs) so now the community thinks oh it could be anybody There are more out there. Yikes. So throughout the month of March, a lot more women are accused, Mm -hmm. including Martha Corey, Dorothy Good, who is a child and the daughter of Sarah Good, Rebecca Nurse, and Rachel Clinton, who is in nearby Ipswich. Like, she's not even in town. (laughs) She's accused on something, like, totally unrelated, but still Uh, accused of being a witch. uh Uh-huh. Um, both Martha Corey and Rebecca Nurse are like high sta- high standing members of the Yeah, community. those are some wild pulls. They're both they both go to church, that, you know. Um and Dorothy Good, the daughter of Sarah Good, is four years old but was still questioned because of her mother. But it's like if you think that her mother this is all garbage anyway but if you think that her mother is bewitching other young women why would you not think that that four-year-old is being bewitched and not because the one that's doing not how the their bewitching? brains worked it's absurd to their me. brains thought if she is associated with a witch then she is probably also a witch so are those girls being bewitched though oh god i can't but, but amanda they're church people i know i know i know <laughs> yeah well, we're not even close to done with the list. I know. I have to, like, really rein it in. <laughs> yeah. Because I have so many thoughts. <laughs> so then in April, we got some more arrests coming in. Uh, Rebecca Nurse's sister gets arrested, Sarah Cloyce, um, and Elizabeth Proctor, who is a very famous victim of the trials. Mm-hmm. Um she is also arrested and brought before Hawthorne and Corwin. And during those proceedings, when they're being questioned, Elizabeth's husband, John Proctor, whose name you will probably also recognize. Largely um, thanks to the Crucible. <laughs> right. He objects um, and is basically standing up for his wife. And then he's arrested later that day. Uh-huh. Yeah, John Proctor is a character in the book The Crucible, which... I don't a play. Know. Is it, it's a play. Yeah, it's a play. I read it, so I said book. But yeah. um, it's... Um, a lot. A, a whole lot. I but read it in school. also the most famous telling of this story, like, Absolutely. Absolutely. Nathaniel Hawthorne? I'm pretty sure. That sounds right to me. I'm going to double check. Yeah. It's a lot. I remember when we studied it in uh, 11th grade. Our teacher had us Arthur read- Miller. I- Arthur Miller. Oh yeah, Nathaniel duh. Um, our teacher had us read it, and then our like project that we did with it was comparing it to the McCarthy trials, mm. which was like to this day as a teacher still one of my most like I remember. I think back on that, I'm like spectacular. That was a great. It was a great way to combine those two. You had way better English teachers than me. I had many that were the same, but not all. Well. A couple, a couple of my same. English teachers were really good, but yeah, a couple of them really weren't. Anyway, yep. Yep. 
That's our high school point. for you, though. That's our high school for you. Um, so around the same time, Giles Corey, who is Martha Corey's husband, and <laughs> and also you know a church member and upstanding. Uh, Abigail Hobbs, Bridget Bishop, who we'll get back to, Mary Warren, who is a servant of the uh, Proctor household, and Deliverance Hobbs, who is the stepmother of Abigail Hobbs, are also all arrested, like, within the next week. It is all coming back to me so aggressively, as are all my thoughts about it. (laughs) Yeah, and then, after they are arrested, Abigail Hobbs, Mary Warren, and Deliverance Hobbs all confess, and then start naming accomplices. (sighs) It's too many people! So it's It's just, it starts spiraling out of control so quickly. Yeah, you're right, it was all, like, all of that was within a week, right? Oof. Of, well, that was within a week of, um... Elizabeth Proctor's right but still that's a lot of people in that week the whole thing is basically within a couple of months yeah yeah which is (sighs) absurd yeah there are more arrests after this (laughs) again a lot of people who are related to people in the first sort Mm -hmm. of like group of people who are arrested um William Hobbs who is Deliverance Hobbs husband um I'm, I'm gonna say that name wrong Nehemiah Abbott, I think, Jr., uh, Mary Eastie, Edward Bishop Jr., and his wife, Sarah Bishop, and Mary English, all arrested. Sarah Wilds, too, I think. Oh, I did? Sarah Wilds, yes, thank you. Um, And then, then, on April 30th. (laughs) Here we go. The Reverend George Burroughs is arrested, along with Lydia Dustin, Susanna Martin, Dorcas Hoare, 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 spelled like Boar, so. Yeah, Sarah Mori and Philip English, who is Mary's husband. They're all arrested. Good Lord. (laughs) And then throughout May, there's a lot more accusations pouring in. But by this time, some people are starting to be able to, like, evade arrest. So there are multiple warrants for some people. Oh, my God. (sighs) And then... On May 10th of 1692, Sarah Osborne dies in jail. Sarah Osborne was one of the first accused, and she becomes the first person to die during the trials. She's not executed. No. But she dies in jail. It's still very sad. It's very sad. The conditions they had them in in jail were like, because their jail was not made to fit that many people. It made for that many people. Right. And they just keep throwing more people in. And the really early ones were kept in isolation because they were afraid of it Mm -hmm. spreading. So, like, she was alone. Oh, it's terrible. At this point, with the arrests, they're not yet having trials. Right. They're just arresting people and putting them in jail. So, basically, they're all just sitting there. Yeah. With no For at care. this point, some of them almost two months now, because it was March to May. So like, right? And Sarah Osborne, what think about it, was already elderly and bedridden. Yeah, it's not like she could get up and do anything at all. Yeah. And then she's thrown into jail, and it's awful. Yeah. So then, on May twenty seventh, sixteen ninety two, William Phipps, who is the governor of Massachusetts Bay Colony, orders. An establishment of a special court of Oyer and Terminer in Suffolk, Essex, and Middlesex counties to start prosecuting these cases. So the court is presided over by William Stoughton, who is the lieutenant governor of the colony. Um, And there are seven other judges. So in the Witch Museum, they have them all just, like, sitting there, like, looking over you. Because I don't know if we didn't describe the Witch Museum. So here's what it is. It's Um, my – it's – It's – if you've been, you know. But if you haven't been, here's a little sneak peek for you. (laughs) You enter one room. Big, wide, empty room. room. No chairs, just low benches on the floor. Low stools and benches. And you sit, everyone sits in the center. And then all around you, up high, sort of like, um... Like on a stage. Yeah, but it's stages all along all four walls. Yeah. There are big diorama displays. With like wax figures. (laughs) 
that like, work in sequence. And like so, full-sized wax figures too. Like not small. Like human-sized. No, like, like you would see at Disney World. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Like animatronics you would see at Disney World except they don't move. Yeah. So the, the presentation starts on one of these and there, like a light shines on it and then it works its way around the room. So when they get to the part talking about the judges, it's like on the back wall and they're all just like looking down upon you. It's, <laughs> it's the weirdest. And all the figures are like very old, clearly. So they just look wild. They look if wild. If you have seen Gilmore Girls, <laughs> it is Taylor's. Stars, Stars Hollow, Hollow Museum. Museum. Yes, like exactly 2AT. I was describing this museum to somebody the other day who has watched Gilmore Girls and I didn't give them that analogy. And they said, it, so it's just that museum yeah. from Gilmore Girls. And it's I said, exactly correct. Anna and I looked at each other when it started and we just were like, uh, where are we? And how, <laughs> is, it, how is this happening to us? It was and then, it's by the, the way, single best thing that's ever happened to me. By the way, that's basically the whole place you leave that room when the presentation's done and then there are three other dioramas that show you different like, types of witches witches through, through the, the ages, ages. It's one ri- of it's- which one of which is literally the wicked witch of the west from the wizard of oz correct so <laughs> and that's it's, it that's the whole museum but it's, it's really cool the, it, it is really cool and interesting and factual but the the display of it is just it's spectacular amazing. Excellent gift shop, though, for real. Oh, best oh. place. Honor. Anyway, that was a very big uh, tangent, but I just needed you to understand. I can't believe we like, made it this far without describing it in excruciating <laughs> detail because it's yeah. the best place on earth. It's amazing. Anywho, so these judges preside over this court. And the biggest thing that they sort of present in as evidence, and I'll talk about some other things like ways they presented evidence. But the biggest thing is called spectral evidence, which is basically claims. It's an oxymoron. <laughs> yeah. It's when victims claim that they have seen and been attacked by the specters of the people who have been accused. So basically, if I'm accusing you and I'm bringing spectra- spectral evidence, I would say, I saw... Goody Amanda's Goody Webb's specter come in to to torment me. Goody Proctor. I saw Goody Proctor's specter come to torment me, which basically means that person's shape, which it is assumed was being used by the the devil devil to torment you. Which is the worst kind of evidence because it's because it's not evidence that you literally cannot prove. It's not evidence. Spectral evidence is an oxymoron. It's just a thing someone said. It's, it's not evidence. It's literally just a thing someone said. Absurd. So, like during the trials, the accused would stand and testify, and the people who had accused them, the young girls and the young women, would stand there and like whimper and have like mini fits like start saying like oh they're they're pinching me or whatever and that would be their evidence quote unquote that like they were do they were torturing them their specter was torturing them and it was very dramatic like flailing on the floor and screaming and wailing and yeah yeah well sometimes right but i mean like that's yeah but yeah and after the establishment of the court, warrants are issued for like 36 more people. Good Lord. Good Lord. But we're going to talk about June 2nd, 1692, when Bridget Bishop is brought before the court. Here we go. So she had actually been accused and found innocent like 12 years before this. Huh. But I don't know. I... Don't know exactly how she ended up before the court again. I guess they were just going back through all the previous accusations Mm -hmm. and bringing them to court. And she was described as not living a Puritan lifestyle because she wore black clothing and odd costumes, which are against the Puritan code, which they were. It's so funny to me to think about what odd costumes meant to those people versus what it would like mean to us now it's like oh clothes no. that didn't look like everyone else her hem is too short <gasps> she's not covering her head or something her sweater is weird <laughs> her 
her sweater is made out of the wrong material. How odd. It's black. Oh. <gasps> Even though those, those fools wore black all the time. Anyway. Anyway, so Bridget Bishop is the first of the defendants in the Salem witch trials to be convicted. And on June 10th, she is executed by hanging on what becomes known as Gallows Hill in Salem Village. So she's the first executed in the trials. It's terrible. Yeah, it is terrible. (laughs) Um, And it only gets worse. Yeah, so from June... So the court takes a break for a while um, to, like, gather all of their warrants and stuff. They, Mm -hmm. like, to get everything together. And figure out, like, which claims are actually worth following up on. Correct. Yeah. Right. So from June 30th through, like, early July, grand juries indict Sarah Good, Elizabeth Howe, Susanna Martin, Elizabeth Proctor, John Proctor, Martha Carrier, Sarah Wilds, and Dorcas Hoare, whose name I'm still not sure if I'm pronouncing correctly. Sarah Elizabeth, Sarah Good, Elizabeth, Susanna Martin, and Sarah Wilds, along with Rebecca Nurse, all go to trial around the same time. Mm Mm-hmm. They're all found guilty, and all five of them are executed on July 19th, 1692, by hanging. Ugh. And then something kind of weird happens. Oh, boy. So we're going to reach the end more quickly than we think we are here. (laughs) Because the trials continue, but I I can't go through every single one of them because it would take too long. There are so many. There There are are so, so many. Way too many. But then a man named George Burroughs, who had been the minister in Salem Village from about 1680 to 1683, is summoned from his new home in Maine and accused of being the witch's ringleader. He wasn't even there. I know. He wasn't even there. He wasn't even there. Out of control. So on August 19th, 1692... George Burroughs, along with Martha Carrier, George Jacobs Sr., John Willard, and John Proctor, are all executed. Uh. Sept- on September 22nd, eight more convicted people are hanged, including Martha Corey, um, whose husband, Giles Corey, uh, refused to enter a plea when he was accused of witchcraft, and then... He was subjected to a very specific type of execution that has a French name that I cannot pronounce, (laughs) but it means strong and hard punishment, where essentially they just keep putting heavy stones on you. You, They lay you down and pile heavy stones on top of you until the weight of them just like crushes you to death. More weight. Famously said by him. When he's being executed, he just keeps saying, more weight. Yeah, that th- there's some contesting about whether or not he actually said that, but I like to right. think he did. That man said, because he straight up said, like, I'm not going to, I will he not He wouldn't enter even a plea. enter a plea. He just was like, this is you out can of press, control. You can press me to death. I will yeah. not give this the time of day. Yeah, more he basically said, weight. it's more not even weight. worth entertaining that this is legitimate. Pile you it on. might as well kill me because I'm never gonna say anything more. Wait. Right. Because a and lot by of this times point, they use that that um, tactic to try and get a confession. They don't right. always use it to to as to an execution. execute you. Right. Um, but yeah, more. And by man. this point, his wife has been executed. Mm-hmm. So like, what's he gonna do? Just be like, yeah, sure, me too. No, he no. was like, this is ridiculous. More wait. That's my man right there. Hmm. And then, <laughs> on October 29th, Governor Phipps's wife is accused of witchcraft. Oh, so now it's gotten out of hand, everyone. Yeah. So he steps in and orders a halt to the proceedings of the court of Oyer and Terminer. Ter- Terminer? I still don't know if I'm saying that right either. Um, and in... The court's place, he establishes a court of superior, or I'm sorry, a superior court of judicature. Judicature? Uh-huh. Judicature. Wow, I'm having a hard time. Hmm. Um, which 
is instructed not to permit spectral evidence. Oh, so there goes literally every case. So, hey, let's stop admitting spectral evidence, even though we've already killed many, many, many people on spectral evidence. Oh, yeah. Absurd. So around this same time, Cotton Mather, who is the son of Increase Mather. Yes. His real first name. Yes. um, Who owned the new charter. I know these people. (laughs) Right. So they had written books on witchcraft long before. Yes. They came to New England. Um, and like throughout all the trials, Cotton Mather was like writing his support to the court, being like, "You're doing a great job." I forgot but at about some that point, too. Ugh. at some point here, he writes them actually, and is like, "You should be careful admitting spectral evidence, and like actually, you probably shouldn't anymore." So it's possible he was already leaning toward that, honestly. But then the the wife is accused and. <laughs> Forget it. Now we definitely can't have that. So trials resume in January and February of 1693. But of the 56 people indicted, only three are convicted. Because they can't admit spectral evidence right. anymore. So yeah. the, they what, got nothing. I can't even think of what evidence they would have found on those three people. What do you have? I don't know. What could you maybe possibly they just, have found? Maybe they confessed. Maybe. Maybe they confessed. Yeah. Um, but they, along with everyone who was being held in custody, had been pardoned by Phipps by May of 1693. And that's when the trials came to an end. The last yeah. trial is held in May of 1693. So just think about this. This all happened in, a in year. like basically one year. Yeah. A year and change. A year. Yeah. A year and a couple of months, which is out of control. That is absurd. I can't imagine living in that place for that year. Just the... No. the or the tension in the yeah oh but by the end of the trials 19 people had been hanged and another five not counting giles Corey, had died in custody oh it's terrible it is terrible so these are the types of evidence that were used in the trials oh boy so we already talked about spectral evidence the whole reason that they felt like they could use it as quote-unquote evidence is because the belief okay so some people believed that the devil could use anyone's shape to afflict people right but the court had determined that oh no 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 actually the devil can only use your shape with your permission yeah therefore you have to be a witch which is absurd logic for something that's already so not logical (laughs) none of it's logical none of it is logical and also it's like if we can't all decide on this detail then we shouldn't be using it in a court of law that's all i have to say about that (laughs) also and by the way when these people would stand trial they were not permitted to have counsel so there was no representation for them. They just basically had to stand there and be accused. And they were, like, base- barely allowed to plead their case. Barely. Right. They could give testimony, but, like, what were they going to say? Yeah. They said, I did it, but no, I didn't. Like, w- yeah. how far can you get with that? Yeah. Um, another thing they would use is called the touch test, which was basically if a victim, quote unquote, was having a fit and the accused touched them and the fit stopped that meant that the accused was the person who had afflicted them because there it, the belief was like only they, they were could putting stop the, it yeah right they were putting the spell on them and if they took and i think i read that like the accused would be like blindfolded and they would have to like someone would lead them over to them to, like, touch... I don't know. It was just strange. Uh, I mean, the whole thing is strange. Um, another piece of evidence that would get you convicted is if a confessed witch identified you as another witch. So if I confessed to being a witch and I said, oh, also Amanda is one, then you are basically done. 100% guilty. You're done. Yeah. Um, other things were the discovery of puppets... Which I don't totally know what they considered to be puppets. Like, I don't know. It, I guess 
Oh, it's like a, it's sort of like a doll. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. A, but it's not a voodoo doll. But like a really. straw doll. Like, yeah. Yes, like a straw yeah. doll. Yes, yeah. that's exactly Like it. a corn husk doll. Right. That so if they discovered that they had those or that they had like books about horoscopes or palmistry or whatever, pots of ointments, <laughs> anything that they could say, well, that's clearly used for witchcraft. It's like, really? Really? Because you have the same thing in your house, probably. <laughs> it's literally just decoration. Relax. <laughs> it's literally just because I had the exact same rash that you had last week. <laughs> right. It's I have poison ivy. <laughs> <laughs> We don't have very good medicine. It's the 1600s. Um, and then, oh, very popular one. This one is so stupid. Which is teats, which was essentially just like a mole. If you have a birthmark, you've been bit by a witch. Like, yeah. But they said that they would say like if it's insensitive to touch, like if you if you don't feel it or react That's to it or whatever, then it's a witch. It's it's out of control. Uh, out of control. Absurd. And of course, there are a lot of other things. Like again, growing up in America, when you learn about this, you learn about all the things they say. Or like mm-hmm. if you if you were X, then you were thought to be a witch. Right? Oh boy. Like, I, not all of it happened in Salem, though, right? So like. There was a lot of like dunkings and that sort of thing. The in logic England. of the dunking is so. Why don't you explain the dunking, Amanda? Okay, so there's this theory <laughs> that if well, you, there was this theory, yeah, it no longer is a right. theory that if you were dunked into the water, sometimes tied up, sometimes not, but if they put you in the water and you drowned. You are not a witch, but right. if you float, you are a witch. So because apparently it's a magical power to save yourself from drowning. So if you float, you are a witch, and we're going to hang and kill you. If you drown, you are not a witch, but you are now but you're dead, dead because right. you have been drowned. It is the most absurd logic there's a monty python bit where they explain it by comparing it to the weight of a duck and that's what it sounds like in my head when people yeah it's out of control to me it's It's so bizarre yeah so that didn't really happen in salem Mm -mm. at least not that i know of um i mean salem went pretty much straight for hangings they were just like spectral evidence but lots of places in england used that method um there weren't a ton of other witch trials in america i mean there were others but there weren't as many but not like this boy in england there were just so very many of them they had witch hunters in england like people whose job it was to go out and find witches yes so in good omens there's um there they like neil gaiman and um uh oh dang it sorry (laughs) oh shoot terry pratchett um that there's a character who is like an ancestor of a witch hunter um, or, or, you know, a a descendant of a witch hunter. And the witch hunters would sometimes take their name, the the joke in the book, and I think it comes from a a lore, um, is that witch hunters would sometimes take their names from the Ten Commandments. So his ancestor's name was Thou Shall Not Commit Adultery Pulsifer. And that cracks (laughs) me up endlessly. That's a good one. So... At this point, the trials have ended, mm-hmm. but it's a whole year of just arrest after arrest after arrest and trial, 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 hangings, hangings, hangings. It's brutal. So a few years later, on January 14, 1697, the General Court of Massachusetts declares a day of fasting and contemplation for the tragedy that they could, the, they finally admit it's a tragedy that came from the, twi- the trials. Let's in, fast about it. Yeah, well, it's more a recognition yeah. of like, oh, we did something super yeah. wrong. In 1702, the general court declares that the trials had been unlawful, which... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Duh. Yeah. In 1706, Anne Putnam Jr., who you will remember from the beginning of the story, mm-hmm. apologizes publicly for her role as an accuser. Which, like, yeah. okay, thanks, but like... Mm. <laughs> Yeah. He's still done. He's still done messed up. She was also 11. It's, there's a lot there. She, she was 12, but yes. Um, but also she had a lot of time in between. There's a lot there. there. There's a lot there to unpack. (laughs) There's a lot of time in between there where she could have, anyway. Yeah. 
Um, and so a lot of the people who presided over the court also like made public apologies. And then in 1711, 22 of the 33 convicted individuals are officially exonerated by the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Well, I, how, what about the I don't other know. I don't know. Uh, I, okay. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, it's possible that they didn't have any everyone's names. Well, it's possible that those other people didn't have anyone advocating for them because before 1711, there were, like, petitions. Oh, like, people were signing sure. petitions and adding people's names. So sure, if sure, they sure. weren't on the petition, then they didn't get And we just didn't know about that discrepancy until later. Right. Or, they, or like, they didn't have any family members right. to, you know, add, yeah, yeah, yeah. add that, their information. Gotcha. Um, but the amount of 578 pounds is authorized to be divided among the survivors and relatives of the accused. How generous. Well, it was 1711. Right, so, but still but between 22 still, people. Yeah. yeah. And, and their families. Like, Should have probably been like each at least. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, you know, by the 1700s, at least it didn't take them like decades to figure out how badly they effed up yeah um but it did take a long time yeah (laughs) so let's talk about the theories of why this happened and why it happened with such fervor i have so many thoughts on this this is gonna be a long one (laughs) yeah probably i don't care i love although there's a good bit for you to edit out because i messed up there's a couple of things talking several times anyway yeah um so some people believe that the family feud between the Putnams and the Porters fueled a lot of the trials. Because if you'll remember, the Putnams supported um, Samuel Paris. Mm-hmm. And Samuel Paris's child was one of the first people to, was the first to accuse someone. And one of the Putnams also was. Right. Yeah. And a lot of the people who were accused early on were kind of known enemies of the Putnams. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't know. We can't say. Like, we don't know these people. We can't say, were you accusing them because of that? But it is an idea that people have had. Mm-hmm. Um, another theory is that it related to the Native American wars of the 17th century, mm. particularly King Philip's War, which took place not very far from Salem. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people in Salem at the time were probably afraid of attacks and raids from neighboring tribes because it was like a thing that was happening around them. Right. And some of the girls who became accusers um, had had witnessed these raids firsthand. Mm. And people think that maybe they were just super anxious that it that, you know, they're just anxious in general, or maybe they were suffering from some sort of PTSD mm. that caused them to have the fits. Uh-huh. Um, historian Mary Beth Norton suggested that the accusation and execution of ex-minister George Burroughs, who led a, led a number of small failed military campaigns against the Native Americans um, for witchcraft, is indicative of the town officials attempting to shift blame for their own inadequate mm. defense of the frontier to supernatural causes. Interesting. Which is not a bad theory. Uh-huh. But... He's accused so late yeah. in all of this that it's like, well, I mean, maybe his accusation was because of that. Right. But I don't know. Interesting. Hard to say. I mean, it would make sense because he was no longer there. So why else would they accuse him? <laughs> yeah. Uh, a lot of people think that it was just normal teenage rebellion against Puritan authority. I have a lot of thoughts and about this one. Hit me with them. Okay, so it is very normal for kids that age to act out yeah. like that. It's incredibly mm-hmm. normal. That's what they do. Like, mm-hmm. I, and I, there is, that is a high likelihood that they were just acting out and it spiraled. Or they were being pranksters mm-hmm. and then they had to get their, they had to get out of it. And, and it spiraled and it spiraled and it spiraled. Mm-hmm. But in my opinion, 
it can't just be that. I think there no. also has to be a ton of adult influence into how far it went. Like, because some people are like, oh, they were just kids and they started telling lies and then they just kept telling the lie so that they wouldn't get in trouble. No, 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 no. They kept telling the lie because an adult got interested in the lie and found a way to manipulate the lie. And then that is what caused people's deaths. And then the adults continued to allow it to happen. Yes. And then the adults continued to use the children to allow it to happen. So it's like, even if it started as teenage rebellion, there are a lot of people who subscribe to that theory think that it just continued to be teenage rebellion. There's no possible way. There's no way. Not the way, not with how violent it got, how quickly. But think about, think about the way our country is now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like an idea grabs onto people and then it, they just keep piling on. Mm-hmm. They just keep piling on because they think, well, this is the explanation for the bad things that are happening around me. Mm-hmm. And therefore, we must punish that. Right. And well, and just with that Puritan ideal of, of what evil is, yeah, they look like that, whether he knew he was doing it or not, Paris looked at this as an opportunity to rid his community of evil absolutely and he did so by doing something evil but and using his daughter and his niece yes to achieve those ends in a horrible way like in a traumatizing way that would traumatize those girls for the rest of their lives those Mm -hmm. are those are my thoughts on that because i remember like when i first read the crucible everybody was like oh well because it's it's the it's very much well in the crucible that is kind of the reason. Yes. Right? In well, the story. And they make, but that's a story. They make <laughs> Ann Putnam older and yeah. yes, this they whole do. thing with John Proctor and it's like a whole thing. Um, but like that's, but that's a fictionalized telling of the event. Yes. And, not, they, and they use that theory, but it takes it like to its extreme. And so people subscribe to that ideal. And I take issue with that because with they're you. kids. Like they right. they could have rebelled, but it would, it should, it it couldn't have gone that far without the adults let it exactly, get too far. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you on that. Um, a lot of feminist historians see it as this is a quote, just another means of the patriarchy to persecute women who acted in ways that were different from the accepted social norms of the time. Correct. Which is a big part of all of the witch trials, not yes. just Salem. Well, and it's just like no matter what the actual reason was, that is a factor in every single It's one. the truth. Like, right. it, it's the nature of the world that they lived in. Almost all of the people accused were women. Uh-huh. And the men accused were like Defending their husbands women. and brothers. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. No matter what the start was. You're more likely to be targeted for misbehaving if you're a woman to begin with. Yeah. No matter what tart, like what sparked it, it was, and that, that is the inevitable conclusion of it. It's just persecuting women who were different. Right. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Um, Here's another theory uh, presented by Harvard graduate Emily Oster um, in the year 2004. And it's called the cold weather theory. It's a good one. It's interesting. This is a pretty good one. So her theory points out that the most active era of witchcraft trials in Europe coincides with a 400-year period of lower-than-average temperatures, which cause crops to fail. And this is a quote from her that said people would have searched for a scapegoat in the face of deadly changes in weather patterns. Mm -hmm. And she theorizes that the connection comes from the fact that witches were believed to be able to control Mm -hmm. and manipulate the weather and therefore destroy crops. So when people would suffer from poor harvests because of poor weather, uh, you know, people would conclude that that was the work of witches and that's what they would blame it on. Yep. And that the events in Salem also corresponded with lower than normal temperatures. Mm -hmm. So it is possible that that caused this like crazy situation. Yeah. And this is a common theme when you're watching like shows or reading books about like pagan traditions Mm -hmm. that like they – they need the weather to cooperate in order to be prosperous. And often they will perform like rituals and stuff. And, you know, obviously a lot of that is fictionalized and probably pretty insensitive. But <laughs> but it's a, it's a commonly held belief by 
people of that time. Any thoughts? No. No, I just I think that one's really interesting. <laughs> it um, is an interesting one. I, and and a, a possible one. Well, and I think, you know, we'll talk about a couple other theories here too. And I, th- I think that that one really contributes to a lot of the other. Like, I, I think the most it likely thing... I think another. the most likely thing is that many of these things were true. Um, yeah. And I think that that one has a big part of it. Yeah, you're probably right. So here is a super popular one. Yes. That you probably know about classic. if you know anything about this. So in 1976, Linda Caporeal, uh theorized that the physical afflictions that the girls were going through might have been caused by ergot poisoning, Mm -hmm. which ergot is a parasitic fungus that can grow on grains under, like, the exact right storm of conditions. Yeah, it's odd. And if you consume it, it basically causes, like, an LSD effect. LSD is can be derived from this fungus. Uh And so it's known to cause hallucinations and convulsions and pinching sensations. This is a super popular theory. Mm -hmm. Some people are like, well, that seems a little much. But it, I mean, it's certainly possible. Yep. The wheat made them do it. Mm -hmm. It's the bread. (laughs) The bread made them see witches. And, of course, the most popular generalized theory that, again, could coincide with all of these other ones mm-hmm. is mass hysteria. Like, there's no um, no disputing that. That is what yeah. happened. <laughs> but the full theory is that the stress of living in such a rigid religious society, isolated from other people for the most part, mm-hmm. probably led the girls to convert the stress into physical symptoms mm. that didn't have any natural explanation. And that caused other people to believe they were also experiencing these yes. physical sensations and therefore caused the hysteria and fervor around needing to solve the problem because they couldn't find a physical explanation mm-hmm. for what they were experiencing. Yes. Here, here's to me what is, is what happened. That okay. the the theory about the Native American wars, the stress from that occurring, PTSD basically, or or not even just that, just the stress from raids mm-hmm. around them, right? The yeah. stress from poor crops, and the s- general stress from the lifestyle they lived, the stress from a the new um, a pastor coming into town and causing tension in the town, like all of that stacked on the top perfect of each storm. other. And then I could give or take the the LSD. That could or could not. Like, it doesn't matter to me. All of that, plus young girls finding something forbidden, interesting, and then getting caught for it. Mm-hmm. All of that creates what happened. Like, so you're saying it was a perfect storm of every literally single theory. what? Like it's it's a spectacular study in psychology. Like yes, it, it's, it really is. It's, it's just every piece of it. It has so many psychological layers. Um, yeah, it, it, that just can only be explained by that like massive stress. And then just like a normal thing that teenage girls do, you know, that young women do. They find things new and different interesting. They express yeah. an interest in it. I mean, and then my they friends get in trouble and I used to play. It. Yeah, my friends and I used to play witches when we were kids. Yeah, my I friends mean, and I thought we were mermaids for years. Like that's. Yeah, oh, you, you loved the mermaid it's, thing. It's what young, it, like, it's what most young people do. But like uh, thinking of young girls, that's what young girls do. Like, yeah, they they get taught these things by their society and the way that they're supposed to be. And they latch onto something kind of weird and they try to, you know, but it's so taboo in exactly. the society in which they're living. Yeah, and yeah. then they they either get caught for it, like they get caught for it by like the worst person to get caught by, <laughs> right? And then from there, every fear response and panic response and the stress from the times spirals into mass hysteria. Yeah, and then it. Just, I mean, like, I agree with you. Yeah, I, th- that's that's what it has to be for me. Like, I can't imagine. Anything I'm with else you. Happen. I'm totally with you. And it's so interesting that now, like, the whole town is just dedicated to this thing that happened for one year. Yeah. And not even basically. the village. Because, you, like you said, the village is a different town now. Like, Salem right. proper. Salem town. Right. Like, this is it is 
all this and and I like, mean it's amazing and like wait, and I'm like fascinated with it old boat history like that's the whole town. yes that's that's exactly what it is and it's boats. like half marine history and half witches yeah it's the best that's exactly what it's it is the coolest it's place it is amazing it's wild i love the witch trials me too. So it's fascinated fascinating. By and him. I mean, this will tell you why I'm so obsessed with the film Hocus Pocus. Correct. And can I say something? I know this episode is going kind of long, but I just need to say something about the film Hocus Pocus. Do. Okay. The film Hocus Pocus, the Disney Channel, not Disney Channel, the Disney original film, film. <laughs> a Disney film, was released in the year 1993. I was one year old. Okay. This film was on TV all the time when I was a child. I was obsessed with it. And people, my age didn't know what it was because when I was a kid, it was like a cult classic. Like no one knew what it was. Mm -hmm. And now everybody knows what it is. (laughs) And they're like, it's one of my favorite Halloween movies. And I'm like, you didn't even know what it was until two years ago. Don't lie to me. I had to show that movie to my college friends to introduce them to it. That is absurd to me. Because it was still a cult classic then. Anyway, that's my favorite movie. Anyway. Gosh. History's great, but today is good too. What's your favorite thing about modern times? Welcome to Modern Times. It's a segment of the podcast where we talk about things that we like about the here and now. And believe it or not, mine is not hocus pocus. <laughs> you could, you would have had me fooled. I could. Nor, nor is it the Salem Witch Museum. <laughs> <laughs> no, although I do love that. Yes. Do you want me to go first, or do you want to go first? I kind of want to go first. Okay, go. Mine is so stupid. Hit me with it. My favorite thing, my current favorite thing about modern times is the twelve foot skeleton from Home Depot. <laughs> Have you seen this fool? So specific. Have you seen this fool? No. Google the twelve foot skeleton from Home Depot. Okay. It's a yard ornament that is a twelve foot tall skeleton. It has the most terrifying eyes I've ever seen, and I'm obsessed oh with God. it. Oh, no, I hate him. I love him. This is the kind of thing that if somebody had that in their yard when I was trick-or-treating, I would have run screaming in the opposite direction. Yes. Because I was afraid of everything. It is so funny to me. There's a video of somebody that has it strapped to the smallest car in the world, driving it down the road. It delights me to no end. The image on the website has it standing taller than the house it's in front of. Yep. This thing costs $300. Yes, it does. And I love it. And I hate Home Depot. Home Depot's the worst. Home Depot yeah, gave is. money to Trump. I don't like Home Depot, but I no, love this skeleton. I love this Maybe skeleton. we'll get lucky and Lowe's will knock it off for less money. I just love the idea of like putting it in the backyard of my little apartment and having it just loom over my building. Over the house. It is yeah. so funny. I love him. I told you Great. it was weird and highly specific, specific, but like he's my current favorite thing about modern times. He brings me so much joy right now. <laughs> well, mine is less specific, <laughs> but it is fall farm activities. Oh, very good. This is a thing. Yes. Like, we did this last year. We went to a farm. And I'm really sad that we can't do it this year because of the pandemic. But apple picking, picking out a pumpkin from the pumpkin patch, going on a hayride at the farm. Yes. Like, Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. it's all so specific. There was a farm that we went to when we were kids yes. at home that was called Sweet Apple Farms, which yes. is just like the perfect fall. It's the best. Drinking hot cider that you buy from the little market. It's just the best. Having the worst allergies from all the hay everywhere. Oh my gosh, I remember. You have the worst time with the hay. We like went one like Sunday with youth group. And the next day at school, me and like two of my friends that went with me just couldn't breathe all day. It was one of those things where my eyes were red all day and people would be like, do you have pink eye? I'd be like, no, I'm just super allergic to hay. No, I have bad allergies. So allergic to hay. Which is almost worse. The best. I love, I love a fall farm activity. I love buying things that are like made at the farm. Yes. You know? I love this. From the little markets they have. Well, and it's just like, it's, it's, it's like farms get a mini like tourist industry. Absolutely, it's so great. Like it's a co- it's a really cool way for farms to make money outside of their like normal work. I think they it's sell awesome. apple cider donuts, and I buy them. Yeah, that's all you need to know. I think it's awesome. I agree. I love this. It's a good that was one, my sis. Times. Thanks. <laughs> so nice and wholesome compared to my twelve foot skeleton. Well, you know, <laughs> I love. Sorry that about it. She's the best. <laughs> what would you name the twelve foot skeleton? 
if you owned it. Mm. This is difficult. I have mm. a couple of Halloween items that all need names. I've only named like two of them. I have a small bird that has a pumpkin on his head. His name is Gerald. Right. Uh, and then I have a cat on some books and I named him Banks, obviously. I, I feel like I would name the skeleton like Alvin. I was going to go for Reginald. That's a bit too formal for me. I mean, he's enormous. Yeah, but I, but like, that just sounds like a giant butler, which is really funny to me. But he's not dressed as a butler. But he could be. It's the beauty of the but skeleton. But you would have to get 12 foot. There's <laughs> a picture of him. A... There's a picture of him wearing a Home Depot apron. Yikes. It's the best. Oh, anyway, God. we have to stop talking about the We have to stop skeleton. talking about this. It's a long episode. Um, Thank you for listening, listeners, uh, to this long episode. Mm-hmm. Um. Spooky season continues in the next one. I don't know what Amanda's bringing to the table. I think I'm going to do Bedlam Asylum. Ooh, okay. Tentatively. That's depends been on, on our list for a long what time. What kind of stuff I can find out about it, but I want to talk about it, and I also want to talk about asylums in general and, like, how deeply haunted the area is. Yes. Like, I got a lot of thoughts about that. Oh, I have Bedlam. a lot of feelings about that, too. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts about Great. Bedlam. So I'm thinking about doing Bedlam. Okay, so possibly that, possibly not. We'll mm-hmm. see. Um, if you all have topic suggestions, now remember, spooky topics will, this will be our last one that Amanda does, the next one Amanda does will be our last spooky topic for the year, but if you have ones you want to suggest for next year, that would be great. If you have any other topic suggestions, or if you have questions, comments, etc., you can email us at rememberthatpod at gmail.com. Um, you can also send us a tweet at rttpod. We love it when you tweet at us. Um, we're also on Facebook. Um, just search the name of the podcast. We will pop up. Uh, and if you want to give us a rating and review wherever you listen to this podcast, that would be great. Google Play just made some changes to their podcasting system. I did move our podcast over to the new one. So if you're switching, you should still be able to listen to this um, if you listen on Google. Cool. Um, if you want to find me on the internet, I am at the real Anna Webb. And I'm at ACW Nerdfighter. Yes. Spooky season. Oh, it's among us. It's upon us. God bless it. it. I feel the I spooky it. wind in the air. I love it. <laughs> An ill wind is blowing. <laughs> well, until next time. Remember that time. Mm-hmm.